0: CHAPTER Fourteen, YEAR 873. PXF. EARLY SPRING. Talon had to admit, the manipulation was masterfully done. The invitation was from his mother, with no indication of his father's hand. She had even used the ancient Vermain family crest in the sealing-wax to indicate it was from the lady of the house and separate from his father. While not directly stated in any way, The invitation gave every indication his mother sent it in defiance of his father, and as some form of rebellion against his iron control of the estate. The Festival of Blossom's Gala was, of course, the perfect choice, just as was every aspect of this outreach from his family after fifteen years. The gala was large enough that Talon and his parents could keep direct interaction to a minimum, but intimate enough that Talon's presence, both as the the Courvermain heir and the must-have guest of the upper echelon of Arnador society, would be well and duly noted by all. And the final masterwork stroke, the gala, as always, was a masquerade. Talon was absolutely not going to attend. It was a decided issue in his mind. He was not about to again fall into his family's web of deceit and control. He was about to throw the invitation into the hearth, when Osman burst through the door to Lolly's kitchen so violently that he almost knocked it off the hinges. We're going to a masquerade! He proclaimed at a volume that, if it had been a battle cry, would have been more subtle. All Talon could do was sigh under his breath. <sighs> masterfully done, mother. Masterfully done. Unsurprisingly. Osman had never been to a gala, much less a masquerade. Talon, of course, had attended the gala as the lord inheritor of the estate during his youth. However, later, when training with Lachlan, he had always managed to excuse his absence by claiming some injury, feigned or actual. Even though the gala was weeks away, Talon knew they hadn't much time. If invitations were already in people's hands, the tailors and the maskmakers especially would receive commissions this very morning if they didn't already have them from the nobility who had planned ahead. Talon knew, as all good warriors do, that when the odds were against him, when he was on unfamiliar battlefields, the best tactic was simply to cheat. He grabbed the first courier he could lay a hand on, bellowing as only he could to get one's attention. A young girl appeared at Lolly's kitchen door lightning fast, beating many of the other couriers who weren't as quick on their feet. Looking her in the eye, he pressed a gold piece into her hand, nearly ten times the usual fee, assuring her that it was hers to keep, and another as well, if she beat all the other couriers to her destination. He then handed her a small pouch of three dozen more gold coins for her to deliver to the old clothier he used at the estate along with the summons for him and all his supplies to come to Talon's rooms at the sojourn's rest. Then, to even further bend the rules in his favor, he sealed the parchment with his knight captain's signet, marking it as an official summons. The clothier's carriage arrived mid-morning, laden with bolts of fabrics, stacks of leather, and two assistants in tow. Talon had prepared a small fitting space for the clothier in his rooms along with securing and outfitting an adjacent room as a workspace. Taking a note from his mother's playbook, Talon intended not to allow the clothier to leave the premises until the work was complete. He knew full well that as soon as the clothier returned to his shop, another noble would flood his pockets with gold to displace their outfits from the front of the line. Osman was effervescent with excitement, his spirits more full of bubbles and froth than a keg of ale that had rolled down three flights of stairs. Talon had never seen this side of his friend's personality. Osman didn't just embrace the giddy joy of this new experience. He fed his childlike wonder of each moment to absolute bursting. The air of Talon's rooms became positively electric, with the charged possibility of each new bolt of fabric and skin of leather the clothier and his assistants brought over the threshold. When everything was finally in place to begin, Talon, with a sigh and a bored voice hiding the playful malice behind it, said, Well, I guess I should go first. Talon's words hit Osman with more impact than the full-force shoulder checks he had thrown at him in training. He abjectly deflated to the point Talon worried there might be tears. Osman, get over here. Of course you're going first. Osman's rebound was like a firework exploding on a midsummer eve. He practically launched from his chair to stand on the small dais the clothier had set up in the middle of Talon's rooms. There was a long pause as Osman realized and then sheepishly asked, What am I supposed to do? The clothier and his assistants, who had likewise been infected with Osman's exuberance, with a sparkle in their eyes, replied, Tell us anything and everything you want this outfit to be, and we will make it happen. Anything? Osman confirmed. Everything? Making sure he had heard right. The clothier looked over his shoulder to Talon to confirm he was aware of the costs. Talon nodded in the affirmative. Anything within the realms of the mundane, arcane, or divine, the clothier stated matter-of-factly, adding a spark of arcane energy between his fingers with a flourish the Festival of Blossoms traditionally had been an occasion to celebrate the coming of spring, fertility, and blessings for a good harvest. Falling on hearth's rest meant the whole of the populace could participate in the picnics and parades and the prominent wearing of their favorite flowers and blossoms on their clothing and oversized hats. However, Through the years, the homespun festival became more and more gentrified by the nobility to its current form in which one had to have powerful connections, social status, and, most importantly, vast amounts of money to participate fully. Noble houses would predate upon one another to win who had the most extravagant, best-attended, most talked-about party of the season. If for no other reason than the nobility's bloodthirsty attitude towards the whole-blossom social season— Toman Corvermain would have had nothing to do with it. However, after one ill-aimed jab at the house Corvermain thirty years ago, Toman set loose Veronique on assuring no other house would ever dare to challenge his house again for hosting the pinnacle event of Blossom Festival. Thus, the Corvermain Blossom Gala was born. While mostly invisible for the rest of the year, Veronique became the tectonic force behind shaping the gala and all things Blossom Festival in Arnador. Her ruthless hospitality and vicious pleasantries eviscerated all who crossed her during the planning season for the gala. Where social manipulation did not fulfill her needs, money was applied liberally, and if still unsatisfied, she would leverage the full political weight of House Cours against the offender. Treaties between empires had been scuttled over an embassy daring to plan an event opposite the gala. Veronique not only didn't take prisoners when it came to the gala but she would also hang her rival's metaphysical social corpses on her tea parlor wall as trophies. After rigorously enforcing a flowers-only theme at the gala for a decade, even Veronique recognized its limitations. Hence, she expanded the theme to the more accommodating one of Nature and the Seasons, which allowed the gala to truly flourish, becoming grander and grander each year. Talon was sure this year would be no exception. So when Osmond could not decide between an outfit representing summer or fall, Talon, as offhandedly as he could muster, suggested, Why not both? Naively, he had not expected Osmond's spark of inspiration and exclamation of, Or all four! And so was born the outfit that would affect the wardrobe at the gala for the next decade. The creation of Osman's outfit took the better part of two weeks. Involving the recruitment of tailors, embroiderers, leather workers, and even enchanters and artificers teleported in from Balathera. Platinum coins spilled from Talon's accounts like a waterfall, but to be caught up in the purity of Osmond's unbridled joy of its creation was worth every copper twice over. Moreover, Talon never had a younger sibling to spoil and witness having new and exciting experiences for the first time. With it happening now, this late in life, Talon, seeing Osmond's thrill at every step of the process, opened the overflowing and pent-up floodgates on a need he didn't even know he had. Talon's outfit, by contrast, took a little over a day to complete. What he commissioned was not without sentimentality, though. It consisted of a dark slate-gray jerkin over a contrasting granite-gray doublet and rich forest-green leathers— all to evoke the boulder by the spring where he and Riken spent their last day together. He matched it with a fitted leather mask ornamented with the bright green leaves of an apple tree in spring and a single apple blossom above his left brow. The day of the gala arrived. With all accounts paid, Osmond's swords and vermilion blade polished as the guests would no doubt expect for them to have one of their outrageous duels, and outfits donned Talon and Osman mounted and headed to the place Talon once called home, and where he had vowed never to return. Year 873, PXF Spring Osman was determined to gallop to the Coorvermain estate at full speed, but Talon convinced him the later he arrived, as long as it wasn't too late, the more people would see his entrance. He relented but was practically bouncing in the saddle by the time they were in sight of the gates to the estate in which Talon had grown up. Even at their impressive scale, the gates seemed small to Talon. In fact, the whole estate seemed smaller than Talon remembered. Not that he had grown physically any larger since leaving, but his world perspective now encompassed continents instead of just a few leagues of estate-held lands. Even the vast influence of his father's political ties was insignificant in relation to the larger world. Luckily, there was a short queue of carriages and horses delivering guests to the gala, which gave Talon a moment to collect himself and gave Osman time to prepare. Talon gave all due credit to Osman. He did have a sense for the dramatic, and the embracing of his emotions allowed him to heighten this moment, his moment to one of sublime radiance, not only for himself, but for all those around him. The two of them dismounted and entered the courtyard gates. All eyes instantly went to Talon. His presence, after such a long absence, paired with his size, elegant but subdued clothes, brute physical presence contrasting the feminine delicacy of the mask he wore, and ornate, thick Uldani braiding that flowed through his hair cascading down over his broad shoulders, stopped all conversation. No one gave a second thought to the oldani beside him in his plain black walnut-colored doublet, leggings, and matching eye mask, until the first stitches of green silk embroidery appeared at the shoulders, like the first shoots of spring appearing on a fallow field. The patterns being made by the looping strands of light green shimmering thread spread and grew, becoming verdant green vines as they scintillated over the fabric that now looked more like rich topsoil than the flat brown of its first impression. As if on cue, the golden light of twilight illuminated the courtyard, spotlighting Osmond like the lead actor on a stage. More and more guests began to note what was unfolding across Osmond's clothing. The green embroidery began sprouting tiny leaves. Some integrated with the fabric, while others at the neck and cuff became three-dimensional accents. The vines lifted off the material at the shoulders, curling and weaving themselves into cap pauldrons made of Uldani knotting. Similarly, his mask had sprouted into a woven structure of organic, complex knotting and tiny leaves to match the rest. Every eye was now on Osman. There was a pause and just as people were about to turn away, the vines began to bloom. First, with tiny white jasmine flowers filling the evening air with their fragrance, the jasmine grew into gardenias, whose color then deepened as they changed to roses. Flower after flower bloomed and faded, the changing of the blooms washing across Osmond in waves, like summer breezes bending long grass in a field. With each successive varietal, a longer and longer cape with an ethereal echo of each bloom grew from the pauldrons on his shoulders and flowed down his back. Finally, the waves of summer flowers began to slow as lavender, the hallmark of summer's end in the region, replaced all the blooms across Osmond's outfit. Then, as if blown by an invisible breeze, the cape of ethereal flowers detached from Osmond's pauldrons rose into the air and burst apart the flowers scattering into a flurry of ghostly petals that swirled over the heads and then showered down upon nearby guests in the courtyard. By the time they looked back to Osman, the vines of the pauldrons were transforming into small silver-barked branches to create a mantle that sprouted into a canopy of perfectly formed maple leaves. His mask also transformed to match the change in his clothes the body now looking like it was crafted from birch bark, with maple leaves spreading out as accents over his left brow. Across his torso, the vines coalesced in a motif of forest trees leading to Osman's shoulders. They're now shedding branches, lending their leaves and color to the mantle. There, leaves turning from green to gold to scarlet cascaded from the canopy at his shoulders, falling back toward the ground and creating an autumnal carpet around his feet. To Talon's consternation, to end the presentation of autumn, Osman insisted on bringing some fun to what, at this point, had been a potentially overwhelming display. In each hand, one by one, a veritable cornucopia of the products of the local harvest began to appear. Overflowing with aplomb and charm, Osman, with lewd expression or raised eyebrow, then handed a piece of local produce to a surprised party guest, often with an uproarious result. When Osmond made his way back toward Talon with a mischievous grin, all the while setting up the crowd for something outrageous, Talon instead turned the tables on him and promptly pulled an apple out of his pocket, and, with a wink and smile, took a bite, leaving Osman holding an over-large pumpkin and nowhere to put it. The guests lost all decorum as Osmond pawned the pumpkin onto a startled stablehand who had just entered the gates, unaware of anything that had transpired. Talon dared a glance at his mother, wondering what hells he and Osmond might have to pay for this incursion into the usual stately mood of her gala. But he found her looking back at him with a genuine smile on her face, a smile with a tenderness toward him he had never seen before. The emotion was fleeting, as her customary stately rigor reasserted itself, overtaking her expression. Talon and his mother then turned their expression back to Osmond, as winter was yet to come. The last scarlet leaf fell off Osman as frost began to form and spread across his mantle and mask, at first from the tips of the branches and then extending to the cuffs and neckline of his doublet. His outfit's rich brown base fabric changed to a deep glacial blue. The silver barked branches at Osman's shoulders dissolved into a flurry of snowflakes that dusted his dark brown curls, whose tips, at their touch, became frosted snowy white. His mask color changed from white birch to the hue of the blue spruce trees that grew in the mountains to the north, the leaves changing from maple to holly, complete with their red berries. The tail of his jerkin lengthened from being cropped at the waist to extending to his knees with an elegant, drift-like split bisecting it. As the frost spread across Osmond, it stitched into the fabric an ornately embroidered ice crystal beading accenting every edge and seam in the impossible knotted patterns of the oldani shamanistic tradition. The deep blue base fabric, still visible beneath the fantastical beadwork, highlighted every nuance of the design. Osman's outfit finally came to rest, leaving its wearer looking every inch the epitome of an eldritch prince of frost and ice. Osman spread his arms wide as though to hug the world, took a final turn, and eyes to the twilight heavens let out the most joyously pure laugh many in the gathering had ever heard in their pretentious and privileged lives. Talon, emotion caught in his throat seeing his best friend, his little brother, have such an experience, simply began to clap, the way he used to clap for Miss Haddington's pies emerging from the oven when he was a child. The rest of the party did the same. Osman's purity of spirit washed away many of the prejudices against the Oldani people that night. To live with passion is not just to live with turmoil and embarrassing unpredictability. It is also to live with unabashed joy for life's experiences, and feed the moments you have with your whole soul.